Welcome to part two of the ambivalence mini series. In this episode, I'm going to tell you what you need to know in order to cure alcohol use disorder so that you are no longer suffering from the illusion that you've lost the ability to control yourself and you're able to step into your personal power with complete confidence that you are fully capable of acting in your own best interest, not only with alcohol, but with everything. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that I created a 10-page companion workbook that you can use to reflect on what you are learning in these five episodes and begin to do the work to resolve your ambivalence. All you need to do is click the link in the show notes for the free companion guide or go to recoverwithcolleen.com forward slash freebies and look for the Resolving Ambivalence Workbook. So we're talking about how resolving ambivalence is the key to curing alcohol use disorder. And I want to acknowledge that that's a big statement. And I want to invite you to suspend your disbelief and try on the idea that curing alcohol use disorder is totally possible and doable, not just for me, but also for you. And part of exploring that idea is for you to understand that thinking that it always has been this way means it always will be this way is actually a limiting belief that's hiding in plain sight. Because you're thinking that it just is the way it is. You feel the way you feel and that somehow you don't have the power to control how you feel. That it's impossible to change the part of you that still finds alcohol appealing. But in this episode, I'm going to give you the strategies and the tools to figure out when and why you came to believe that alcohol is appealing. Like it's a deep emotional experience that probably formed in childhood. And don't worry, you don't have to relive your whole childhood. You just have to acknowledge that there is a before and after. At some point, you developed an emotional attachment to the idea that alcohol was appealing in some way, probably before you ever even drank it. And that learning has stuck with you in your subconscious. And the only way to move through it is to go to the source of when you learned that. And if you can't identify the actual situation where you learned it, that's okay. You just have to pull up the subconscious emotions of what it is that you learned so that you can get very, very clear about why you feel the way you feel. But before we dive into that, I wanted to share my own before and after experience so that you can get a glimpse of a human being who has been where you are, at least in some context, and then where I'm at now. And you can borrow from my experience of before and after to sustain your own belief that it is actually quite possible to cure alcohol use disorder. 
by resolving your ambivalence. So big picture, for about 15 years, I drank every single day. And towards the end, I was averaging half a fifth of vodka. And some days I drank a bottle of wine with that too. Mostly, I did not enjoy that. Occasionally, I'd enjoy socializing with other people, but by the end, about 90% of my drinking was done alone. I was very high functioning in that I did what I needed to do every day, but the goal was always just to get through my to-do list so I could be, quote, done for the day and finally relax because I was never relaxed. After I quit, I remember saying that it felt like a block of ice was melting from my chest, like I had been living in a block of anxiety, pretending that everything was okay so that I could just keep getting away with it because I actually thought I was getting away with something. Cranberry juice. Fast forward to now, I love how I feel without alcohol. And I do occasionally enjoy a glass of wine also, but I'm a way less is more person these days. The moment I start to feel it in my head, my hand puts the glass down. It's not even a, a conscious process anymore, although it was in the beginning. This was a process. But I have reprogrammed my subconscious by resolving my ambivalence, so I don't even have to try. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to cut myself off. I don't have to count or ration or pace myself. I simply no longer have the desire for the right amount of alcohol or to drink in a way that disconnects me from myself. And if I do want to disconnect myself from a situation, I use my voice, my legs, maybe even my car, just not my liver. I don't abandon my body anymore. But that didn't happen overnight. You don't wake up one day and just become this way. First, you know, I quit drinking for a while. I dried out and I let my brain and my body heal and I didn't poison it every single day with this addictive depressant drug. And in the meantime, I learned the truth about alcohol, you know, how the drug works and why the more you drink, the harder it is to control. And then I started to learn more about how addiction works, like addiction to anything. It's not just alcohol. We're all experiencing addiction, which includes our phones and social media and sugar and how that affects our dopamine and literally turns us into rats chasing the cheese through a maze in a tiny little box. The more addicted we are to one single thing or across the board to lots of things, the less conscious we are. We're so distracted by the cycle of cravings for dopamine is what is happening in our brain. And we want relief from low dopamine. And then we're withdrawing because what goes up must come down and it gets harder and harder to focus on other things because we're subconsciously trying to manage our brain chemistry. And that makes us run on autopilot. And the more we're on autopilot, the less access we have to free will to our higher states of consciousness, to big picture thinking, to long-term goal setting. We end up just living in reaction mode, in survival mode. And we're unaware that the thought loops, which are the repetitive and intrusive stories that just loop through our brain, those are slowly diminishing our connection to a purpose that is greater than the urge for instant gratification. You see, the conundrum with alcohol use disorder is that it's not actually a battle with alcohol. 
Alcohol has no power over you in the 3D world. It's a liquid, right? The battle is with yourself. There's an emotional disconnect, a disintegration, if you will, of your mind and body. You're so caught up in the stories in your head that you literally forget that your body has needs and opinions and is going through experiences. And so you ignore the consequences, the experience of your daily habits to the point where your body just can't keep up. And then when your body can't keep up, you start beating yourself up. Your beautiful body that is doing its very best to swallow all the toxic food and alcohol and stimulants that jack up your nervous system, and then you force the body to go without sleep or quality nutrition or downtime because you're so busy paying attention to all the digital notifications and switching your focus from this to that every three seconds, and you're just cracking the whip on your body. Go, go, go. And then complaining that nobody ever gives you a break. The stress you're putting yourself under is so intense that your desire to escape your body gets stronger and stronger. But you can't escape your body. That's where you live. Which is why focusing on the addiction to alcohol is so misguided. Because even if you are physically addicted to alcohol, and let's not make that a thing, Alcohol is an addictive substance, so if you're drinking on a regular basis and experience even mild relief from stress when you pour a drink, you are experiencing some level of a dependency. But that doesn't make you special or damaged. I mean, it's the same as you feel when you don't get your coffee in the morning. If you drink coffee every day and then don't drink coffee, you're going to notice that. If you have the mental capacity to listen to this podcast, stopping drinking will be an immediate and immense relief, even if and as you experience withdrawals. You already know the less you drink, the better you're going to feel. The reason it really isn't about the alcohol is that the drug we call alcohol is not inherently rewarding enough to cause addiction on its own. It's the stories and beliefs and the desires about pleasures and benefits that we have come to associate drink with drinking that keep us coming back for more. You guys, when they do studies with rats to study addiction, right? They have to use alcohol vapors to induce dependency because the rat can't be told a story or shown a movie or talked into drinking by his friends because he's thinking that drinking is making him cool or he's going to have so much more fun if he keeps drinking. Like rats don't feel bad about not drinking if their friends are drinking. So their behavior isn't being driven by their sense of identity. Only humans use behavior to create a persona. They make their behaviors and their habits mean something about the type of person they either want to be or don't want to be. So the more you drink, the wider the disconnect between the reality of alcohol use and the story you're telling yourself about why you're drinking. Your habits are subconsciously supported by illogical assumptions that you've repeated to yourself over and over until they just feel true and normal and you don't even notice them anymore. 
And by the time you qualify as having alcohol use disorder, which just means that you're drinking more than you think you should be drinking, and you're having trouble sticking to your goals to drink less or not at all, by the time you are in an addiction, your brain has come to identify alcohol as both the problem and the solution in a multitude of contexts. That is the ambivalence that causes emotional whiplash. You sincerely want to quit drinking and you sincerely want to keep drinking. That's a thought loop. And the distinction between the thinking habit and the drinking habit is the critical distinction that you need to make to break the cycle. You must acknowledge that the reason that you want to drink is not your love of being drunk or that you actually can't control yourself. The real reason you want to drink is because despite all the evidence, you believe a story about alcohol that isn't true and probably also a story about sobriety that isn't true. So it feels like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. This is a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. And that's why willpowering your way through sobriety without addressing the subconscious assumptions that are driving your behavior, the stories you're telling yourself, without addressing those stories, you're going to feel that sobriety is more of a self-denial than self-care. As long as the story you're telling yourself is that you can't have what you really want, which let's be honest about what that is, you want to keep drinking without the consequences, which isn't logical because it's not possible. As long as you're attached to the idea that alcohol's the reward and sobriety is the punishment, there's going to be a battle in your brain. And that is why you keep doing this. You see, there are two primary sources of motivation. One is to escape the pain, and the other form of motivation is to pursue pleasure. And the fastest way to initially correct alcohol use disorder is to commit to staying sober for a period of time, and then to allow the clear and obvious benefits of sobriety to reinforce your motivation to keep going. Not drinking alcohol not only relieves the pain of the full-time struggle of managing a drinking problem, but it's also its own reward. Your mind is clear. Your cortisol levels drop. Your sleep gets so much better. And sleep alone is huge. Sleep is not a pillar of health like diet and exercise. Sleep is the foundation. Diet and exercise are very important, but if you just started getting eight hours of quality rest every single night, your life would feel and look so much better. The problem is you can't do that with alcohol on board. So when you quit drinking, within a month or so, that that relief of not having the drinking problem anymore is called the pink bubble, but that wears off. And once you're through the initial withdrawal phase, sobriety then is no longer its own high. Not drinking is not actually a coping skill. So you then start to feel lost or bored or start beating yourself up about all the time you wasted because you don't really know what to do with yourself. You don't have a vision for what comes next or or a sense of self that doesn't include the alcohol. So there is a void there. We're going to dig deep into this idea of creating a new reality for yourself in part five, because not knowing how to deal with those feelings, that lack of vision for yourself, that lack of identity, then you end up spending even more time in your head trying to solve problems that don't actually exist anywhere but inside your mind. 
And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the real obstacle with alcohol use disorder and why sobriety alone is not the cure. Changing the way you drink doesn't change the way you think. You have to make a choice about the story you're telling yourself. Do you want to continue to let the main character of your life be alcohol? To see yourself as a drinker who can't be trusted with a drink in your hand? Or do you want to wipe the sleep clean? Learn how to manage your mind and completely reinvent yourself. You may not have even considered that as one of the options. And it might scare you to think that you will be a completely different person in a few months time when you embark on this journey. Like what if you end up leaving your job, your partner? What if you upset the apple cart and piss all the people off around you because you finally start speaking your truth? What if you actually do give up drinking and subsequently change your entire life in ways you can't even imagine? And let me just say this, I've been there. I've shared many aspects of my story on multiple episodes of this podcast, but I'm just going to keep it short. Let me tell you this, no one ever regrets letting their inner goddess out of her cage. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And once you allow yourself to feel that fear, the fear of not knowing who you are without alcohol, the fear of sobriety being a threat to your core identity. Once you make friends with that fear and start looking directly at it in the face, instead of numbing and avoiding and complaining and telling yourself the same old stories as you have been for years, you're going to see that that fear isn't even real when you look at it. There is nothing to fear. Sure, life will happen and some of it's going to hurt, but no amount of alcohol can change that. So the real question with alcohol use disorder is not, how do I stop drinking? It's how do I start feeling? Because you can't think your way out of emotional attachments. That's what makes you crazy. See exhibit A, alcohol use disorder. And so if you want to know how to push through the ambivalence that's holding you back, what does it mean to feel this shit? You have to take action. You have to stop thinking and start doing something different, which is why I created a 10-page workbook that is free for you to download so that you can start using these five episodes in this mini-series to work through your layers of ambivalence so that you can start untangling your cords of illogical attachments to alcohol and your resistance to change and your lack of vision for yourself. Get in the show notes and click the link that goes to the freebie page on my website. So it's recoverwithcolleen.com forward slash freebie and download the companion workbook that I created as a gift to you in honor of us launching this show together that will help you work through this. And then head on over to part three, where I'm going to lay out a big picture look at the process of change and explain exactly why the more ambivalent you feel, the more progress you're actually making. And as a reminder, if you are listening to this in real time on November 14th, if you want to take your time with these episodes, download the workbook and work through this stuff slowly, I encourage you to do that. Just do me the favor of going ahead and downloading the rest of the episodes so they're on your phone and ready to go. And also so that our day one can reflect the downloads that are going to put us into the charts. 
I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I will see you in part three.